0: When you're rescued from your sin, just exactly what is God doing? Well, we'll answer that question in detail over the next two programs here on Truth For Today. I can rescue a neighbor's child from drowning. And once we're back on land, that child still remains my neighbor's child, not mine. All I've done is rescued. But when God rescues us from sin, He does something quite amazing. Not only does He do a simple rescue from our sin, He makes us His own. Justification, God's gift to the rescue. Join us as we understand what is really behind God rescuing sinners. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's edition of Truth For Today. Let me give you a theological
1: definition of justification. First of all, justification, if it helps you, it's from the Greek word meaning righteous. It just means righteous. But what justification means How could God ever declare you to be in the right with him? He says, there's none righteous, no, not one. He says that in Romans 3.10. Well, if he says that about us, how could he ever say, you are right in my sight? So when you hear justification, which is simply the Latin word that took, that's what the Vulgate did... With the Greek word, righteous dikaios, Latin, "justificare," And now, justified means I am in a right relationship with God. But how? But how? How can it be? Now, let's give a theological de- definition. I'll try to go by memory. I had to memorize this when I was 19. Let's see if the memory's working. You won't ever know the difference. It is that judicial act of God whereby he declares a hell-deserving sinner to be righteous in his sight based upon the imputed righteousness of Christ. Is that beautiful? beautiful? I mean, he declares you to be in the right because he imputed or he counted to your credit the righteousness of Jesus. You see, everything God wants to give you, if you wind up in Jesus, he can give you anything. He can give you everything. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. Where? In heavenly places. In Christ. And that gets you into heavenly places. All right? So, that judicial act of God. is a courtroom scene. You can walk out of the court, declare not guilty, in God's sight, with God being the judge, because he sees you clothed in a righteousness not your own this is what Luther said this is the fundamental essential of Christianity the church stands or falls on whether you understand this you cannot be saved any other way it's the full explanation of the gospel it's one to say Jesus died buried rose again that's wonderful that's historical he died now he did say he died for our sins That gets. now we know why But I've heard people just, if you say that, that saves. Well, uh, it saved the Corinthians, but he did unpackage it a little bit. Romans is the unpackaging of what the historical facts accomplished. He did die for our sins. He was buried. He did rise again. But we want to now take a journey and see. I'm going to reach back. And see what the hero did. That's the cost. What price God had to pay to get to justify you. Look at Romans 3. We pick up verse 21, where Matthew was last week. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ For all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned in the past. And are all falling short in the present. Of the glory of God. It reflects a past tense. And a present falling. And are justified by his grace as a gift. You see that? And are justified. Because they deserve it grace you don't deserve, and it's even a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show or demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Three things. The cost to God to ever get a sinner right in his sight. Three things. And Matt taught on this last week. He had to pay a price with his own blood to redeem you, to buy you out. And by the way, when we say the blood of Christ, uh, we're not just talking blood plasma. Yes, he had blood plasma, but it's a phrase loaded with greater meaning. It means a vicious death under the penalty of God. When the lamb died and his blood was spilt, blood was the shorthand for the jugular vein was slit. They died. Another took their life. Christ didn't die of measles. He didn't die of some disease up in Galilee. He died under the wrath of God. And he did that to purchase you, to redeem you out from sin. Second thing he did before God, he satisfied God's anger towards your sins and my sins. God wasn't angry with his son. But God made him to be my sin. And so God said, you'll have to bear my wrath if you take their place. And he says, I choose to do it. And he satisfied every righteous claim God had against you in his death. And so, this word is he propitiated or he satisfied God's wrath, his anger. Now, the pagans practiced this, they were always bringing sacrifices, and they thought you could buy off an angry God. So, they were always bringing offerings. God says, there's nothing mankind can bring me that can satisfy my anger towards their sin. I alone can provide what will subside and satisfy my wrath. I will bring the sacrifice. I'll go to Mount Moriah with Isaac, and the knife will plunge into this sun. I will take him. And only he, God provides the only thing that will satisfy him, his only beloved son. It's not you and I bringing our paltry sacrifices, our good works, our offerings, whatever. He says, you can never buy me off. You can never get my wrath to subside. Only my son bearing the wrath for you can it ever be satisfied. It costs God everything to save you. And then he uses a Greek word. He demonstrated this, which the idea is God's character was on trial when it comes to saving you. He had to prove he was just while declaring you to be just. He had to vindicate his character, and he went public. He, he did it out in the open. He could have done it up in the north of Palestine. He could have done it in secret. He could have done a lot. But he said, no, we're going to go to the capital. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to get a public spectacle where my son hangs nearly naked on a cross. I want all of creation so much that all the lights in the universe went out because I am going to publicly show you what I will pay to save a sinner. This is what it costs God to save sinners. The blood of his son, this is death. A satisfaction that only Jesus could provide. And the demonstration, I am so righteous, I let no one go to heaven free. You don't go to heaven free. It just didn't cost you anything. It cost heaven everything. This salvation is full and free to you, but never to God. Never to God. He poured out his wrath upon his son. It was the price he was willing to pay to get to have you next to him for eternity. It's uh, overwhelming. I mean has your wife ever said you need to get out of the house I need a break how about God paying a price for you never to be separated from him never separated I just gave the illustration to show you what I mean now um, this righteousness comes to us what's the condition for getting it How can I get this righteousness? Well, uh, he said in 320, none can be justified by works of the law. You, You can't keep the law of Moses and make it to heaven. Not that anyone ever has, but he said, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. He goes in chapter 4, as we'll be looking at Abraham as this great example. He says, because the Jews would say, well, you've got to be circumcised to be right with God. You've got to do some religious ritual. Other people circumcised, but Genesis 17, God said, as a sign of the covenant between you, Abraham, and your offspring. I want every male circumcised on the eighth day. And the Jews did that like some people do baptism. Well, I've been baptized. I've been circumcised. That was the Jewish argument. And he says, yeah, but your father Abraham was never circumcised when God declared him right. It was before circumcision. And then it goes on to say, uh, it wasn't under law. for uh, He was never under the law. Moses came after Abraham. So it wasn't depending on circumcision. wasn't depending on the law. So you can't be right with God by religious activity. You can't be right with God by so-called keeping the rules. No, no, no. You just can't. Well, how can I? Well, it's by faith alone. Look at 322 where he says, For all uh, the righteousness of God comes to us through faith, and Luther added the word alone. In Jesus Christ for all who believe. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus to be received by faith alone he justifies those who have faith in Jesus alone verse 26 28 for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law Luther added alone and Roman Catholic scholars criticizing for it who do you think you are to have alone and this was a reason, as an Augustinian monk, he slept on a plywood, piece of wood called a bed. He fasted two to three times a week. He uh, inflicted pain on himself, he fasted, he prayed. He went to his confessor, John Stobitz, and would stay in the confessional booth two hours at a time. Stubitz, uh saw him usually daily, and one time, he went back to the confessional, and it just been overnight, and stopped it! said, stop it, Luther, you couldn't have sinned that much. It's only been 24 hours. You went to sleep through the night, but he could get no relief from the... Uh, uh, shortcomings. He was a student of the Word at the university, and he said, I'm a, I'm an ungodly man. I, ca- I can't get it out of my thoughts. I can't do this. And he just felt this total uh, indictment. He was guilty, guilty, guilty before God. And in his tradition, he was taught you've got to not only believe in Jesus, but you've got to have uh, baptism you got to have the sacraments you've got to go to confession you got to you got to you got to you got to it never ended and he kept doing going through it here he had the he was nearly killed in the lightning storm and he promised saint Anne, I'll be a monk I was headed to be a lawyer his father never forgave him for giving up law to become a priest but he was so thankful god spared him in the storm And yet, when he came here, he said, it's not by faith plus. It's not by uh, Christ plus. It's not plus anything. Once you put a plus, it quits being the gospel. Christ alone saves. Faith alone saves. Alone. Don't add anything to it. And what did Paul tell the Judaizers in Galatians? If I or an angel from heaven comes to you and adds anything to this gospel, let him be anathema. No additions, no additions, no additions. And if you're not clear on this, you can be religious to your toenails and go to hell. It's Christ alone you must trust. You must come to him by faith alone. See, faith is the only thing you can do and not do anything. Just believe God can do it. So, the only way you can be saved is by faith alone. Ah, but the Jewish mind would ask, what about Abraham? Oh, I'm hearing Paul say, I'm glad you brought it up. Let me tell you about Abraham. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather. Chapter 4, verse 1, according to the flesh. If he was justified by works, he is something to boast about. But not before God. He had no works he knew that impressed God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham did not work. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Notice the word counted. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, five times. And the word counted is a word to put to one's credit. It was used of ledgers. Put it to someone's account. Give them credit for something. And so he says here, when he believed, God gave him credit. Put to his account righteousness. Many of the rabbis translate Genesis fifteen six. that's being quoted. They'll say, and Abram was faithful. And God counted him righteous. They made it. He was a good man. He he did good works. He won the. Uh, it, it's miss Mister. He believed. He wasn't faithful. He believed in Him who was faithful. Amen. He will hold me fast. Not you. I. You know we used to sing. He, we used to sing. My father told us, "I will let nothing separate me from His love." Well, once I come to understand grace, I changed it. He will let nothing because my grip gets pretty weak I slip out any moment if it's my grip it's God's grip on me that's keeping me not my grip on him now let's tell the story of Abraham Abraham according to Joshua was a moon worshipper when he lived in Ur of Chalde, present day Iraq when he was living there with Haran Terah other family members, God one day says, Abram, I want you to leave her and go to a land that I show you. And if I was Abram, I would have said, Where's the map? <laughs> God said, No map. Just go where I tell you. Who looked up Abram? Where was Billy Graham? God looked this up. I see people don't believe in election. You can't believe in Abraham. God just said, "Boom!" I mean, eleven chapters of Genesis, three chapters of the fall. Chapter four, Cain is killed. Chapter five, in that day men begin to call upon God. Chapter six, the earth was so bad. God said, "I want to destroy it with a flood." Chapter eight, the earth is destroyed. Chapter nine, we start over again chapter 10 the table of nations chapter 11 Babel we're scattered and all of a sudden God said I'm going to start all over i saved save Noah I'm going to save another man he is a Gentile at that time He is a moon worshiper so he's an idol worshiper and I'm going to call him and say you know what Abram I'm going to bring nations out of you I'm going to give you a land I'm going to bless you is that right Who do you think you are? God? Oh, okay. And so, nephew Lot gets in trouble. And the kings around Sodom, they raided the area. They stole Lot. He was captured. Uncle Abram hears about it. He goes down. He rescues nephew Lot. On the way back, He meets a man by the name of Melchizedek. And he gives him a tenth of everything of the spoils. Something very beautiful in the story. The king of Sodom said, I want you to have everything we took from the spoil. Abram says, no, you keep it all. I never want it to be said when I become wealthy that the king of Sodom made me wealthy. I want God to give me whatever I get. Wouldn't we'll take a shoestring if you read the narrative. I don't want any of it. Chapter fifteen, though, it says he was a little bit scared. He was afraid of reprisals from the kings. And he said he's in his tent, and God comes to him and he says, Abram, stop being afraid. I will be your shield. You know, a Bedouin tent isn't too good a fortress. I'll be your shield and your exceeding great reward. Abram said, Well, I'm glad you brought up reward. Because all I got in my house is a barren wife and me. I'm about 99 years old and I got this slave Eliezer around here. I guess I'm going to have to have children. He's going to get everything I own because you won't give me any children. I have no posterity. God said, Abram, follow me. I want you to step out of the tent. And out in that desert, no artificial light. Look up, would you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, start counting. One, two, three. Yeah. He said, there's your posterity. God, I just want one. We don't have one. He said, I said, look up there. I'm going to make you have enough posterity. You'll think it's the stars of the heaven.
0: And that will conclude our time today here on Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with our teacher and pastor Phil Howard.